So if I do not know your name yet, I am going to try my best over the next few weeks to get around and meet and greet everyone. So don't look at me like I'm weird or anything like that. Uh, just uh, graciously shake my hand, tell me your name. I'll probably forget it five seconds after I walk away, but I'm working on that. Uh, but it's good to be with you. I'm excited to be here. And uh, today I'm, I'm uh, doing a different role today as Pastor Alex is, is down south with some friends and enjoying a weekend. Uh, I am stepping in to bring forth the word of the Lord. I do not take that lightly. Uh, it is an honor and a privilege to do so. And uh, I have spent quite a bit of hours even in the sanctuary walking through the seats, praying over the instruments, the singers, and also praying over each and every one of you. I didn't know where you would be sitting, but God did. And when I was praying over you, I was praying specifically for you. And uh, I pray that we hear the word of the Lord today. And in doing so, we also apply the word of the Lord today into our lives and for the rest of the time. So as you know, we're in, in the book of Jonah. And today we're going to be focusing on chapter 3 of Jonah and also the very beginning verses of chapter 4. Uh, today's title of the message is entitled Difficult Grace, and I think you'll figure out why here soon. So a couple of weeks ago, we heard from uh, uh, Miss Kaylin how the prophet Jonah disobeyed God in Jonah chapter 1. Jonah heard the vo voice of the Lord and actually had received a very distinct calling upon his life to go do what he needed to do, and yet he turned and walked away from it. He jumped a ship to Tarsus and fell asleep during a great storm in defiance to God. Now, was it really defiance to God, I guess is my question to you and I, I, my question in my study. I believe that God is a prophet of God, right? Jonah is a prophet of God. There is no doubt he is called a prophet of God. He has been used to speak God's word and he has touched lives. In this particular situation, as we've already heard in the last two weeks, he was very upset about going to Nineveh. It wasn't because he hated God or disliked God. It was, it was because, and it, it may not even been that he hated or disliked Nineveh. He just didn't want Nineveh to be saved. And that's what he was concerned with. He had a calling and, and Kaylin described to us that it's very hard for us to outrun the call of God, right? If you have a call upon your life, I might as well tell you now, just stop running because you're not gonna outrun it it's just gonna take more pain and agony once you get there. Just stop in full obedience and don't, don't go through all the things that Jonah did. Last week, Pastor Alex shared with us about the sailors who turned to God after they obeyed the Lord. They obeyed the Lord because the prophet, the man that actually was causing all the havoc and was actually a part of the reason why the big storm was taking place said, look, just throw me over the side. If you just throw me over the side, the seas will come, your storm will pass and you'll be good. Just, just do that. But we heard from Pastor Alex that they didn't do that. They got oars out and they tried to row the boat back to shore, which didn't work very well. I have a feeling as sailors in a big storm, you know, you gotta lighten the load. So they probably were throwing, throwing different things over the ship to try to lighten the load and make it easier for the boat to sail. The whole time being a very chaotic, very huge storm. One of the things that I feel God is gonna be talking to us about at the very beginning of this message is to understand that sometimes the big storms that we're in are not actually our storms to have. But we have them in our lives because we are holding on to something that God's saying release, let go. And we're holding on to it in such a manner and in such a way that we're not allowing the fullness of God to be God in those situations because we're trying to hold on and make it our own way. 
We learn that through this obedience of just grabbing Jonah and throwing over him to the side, the seas calmed according to scripture and they were saved. Jensen Franklin, a free chapel church in Georgia, I, I love listening to many of his messages. Uh, he spoke on the book of Jonah and he shared this thought and I believe someone may need to hear this today, so please listen closely. You may not actually be Jonah. We've been talking about don't be Jonah, don't act like Jonah, don't think like Jonah. You may not actually be Jonah today, but you may have a Jonah around you right now. You may be trying to help, support, serve, love them, bring them into the right place at the right time, but the reality is, like I shared just a minute ago, the storm that you are in may not be your storm, it may be their storm. The chaos that you're feeling within your life is not really your chaos to have, but you're feeling that chaos because of someone that's around you that may be a Jonah running from God or may have brought on this turmoil in this situation. Now, God calls us all to love. We are to love, we are to, to serve, we are to minister. We just shared Pastor Dell's whole point of being in ministry is about serving and helping and, uh, and touching the lives of others. So we're not called just to leave them completely, but in this particular scenario, and sometimes in the depth of the storms, we need to let go. We need to release those that are around us from our control, from our opinions, from our thought processes and direction, and we need to fall upon our, our knees before God and say, God, they are yours. You created them, you fashioned them, you placed the destiny and the call upon their life. Now you're the only one that can put it through and get them where they need to go, so I release them into your hands today. I don't know where you are, I don't know who's around you, but I know this, somebody needs to let go. Somebody needs to let go today. We have already heard over the last two weeks that you don't wanna be a Jonah, but today I think God's reminding us you also don't wanna be a Jonah enabler. You don't wanna enable someone to keep running from God in the presence of God, but you wanna let go so God can have full access to them and turn them. Now God, knowing all things, he had a great big fish. Some call it a whale, some a fish. I don't, if you're a fisherman, you probably know the names of all the big fish. I come from Oklahoma, we have big catfish there, so I'll just call it a catfish. Um, but he had a very huge fish that came, and the unique thing about this is this fish came at the exact right time, at the exact right moment, to swallow up Jonah, hold Jonah in his stomach for three days, which is amazing, and then, I know Pastor Alex was getting grossed out saying this, but he vomited Jonah out of his mouth onto the shore. He did all these things as a fish. Do you understand that? This is not a human where he can have a conversation with him and say, hey, I really would like you to do this. No, he just said, I want you as a big fish to go swallow him up, hold him for three days in agony because I've got something to teach him. When I tell you, go put him on the right place at the right time because I need him to do something for me. And the fish said, yes, sir. Now, we also understand that the sailors who, who also threw Jonah over the, over the side of the ship did not really have a true depth relationship with Jesus Christ or with God at that time. They probably knew of him, they knew about him, they knew about the, the Hebrews, they knew about the, the nation of Israel, but they did not have a deep intimate relationship with that at that time. But I, I have a thought, and this is a very high, high thought, 
that you're going to really have to capture. So please listen to these words. When a man says, throw me over the ship and your sea will calm, and they throw him over the ship and the sea calms, I have a feeling they're like, ooh, there's something about that God. I prayed last week to my God, and my God did nothing, but we just threw a man over, and as soon as he hit the water, the, keys, the seas calmed, and my storm stopped. They did exactly what he said. There is something about this God, and guess what they did? They came in full belief, they came in full understanding, and they began serving the God of Jonah. They were saved from a pit of hell. They were saved from a storm that was not their storm. Why? Because they obeyed God. This fish had no other thing but to go around and eat other fish, right? That's his calling in life. Go around, swim around the ocean. But he was called by God to do a certain thing at a certain time, and he was there, and he did it at that time. So we have two stories and two testimonies, a man, a man of sailors and a great fish who are in full obedience of God at the moment that Jonah, the prophet of God, was in full disobedience. Isn't that amazing? God can take all things and work them for good, amen? So while in the fish's belly, I'm gonna paraphrase the nine verses that he says in chapter two into this one sentence. And this is probably because this is how I would probably be, Grace, if, if I was Jonah, and this would be my sentence. Okay, it stinks in here. I'll go do whatever you want me to do. Okay, okay, I got it. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I will go do what you called me to do. Just get me out of here. I'll go do it. That's basically what he said in those nine verses. Then the fish vomited him up upon the shore God gave him the second calling, which was really the first calling again, the second calling for him to go do these things. So here's point number two of today. God does not need us to fulfill his will. He wants us to be a part of fulfilling his will. See, in my Bible, we just heard about a fish that did something pretty miraculous. There's another story in the Bible that talks about a donkey actually starting to use human words and talk to get the point across. There's also scripture that talks about that if I'm not gonna praise him, something else is gonna praise him. What is that? The rocks are gonna cry out and praise him. God does not need me, but he wants me. God does not need you. He doesn't need your wisdom. He doesn't need your opinions. He doesn't need your actions. He doesn't need your strengths and weaknesses. He just needs you. For when I am weak, he is strong. Where does the joy of the Lord come from? Not me. The joy of the Lord comes from the Lord himself. He doesn't need me, but he wants me. He doesn't need you, but he wants you to fulfill his will. In chapter one, God calls Jonah to Nineveh to speak a very divine calling upon him. In chapter two, after a lot of things that just happened, we talked about he had to get Jonah's focus back. And after that, Jonah half-heartedly repents. We heard that from Pastor Alex last week, but definitely cries out to God in the belly of a whale that says, okay, God, I'm going, let's go. I, I will go, I will do what you want me to do. Pastor Alex shared in repentance that repentance is, is a change of the heart in such a way that if I am going this way in my sinful nature, it could be huge things like murder or it could be little sins like white lies 
And it could be everything from one extreme to the other. It doesn't matter. But until I begin being remorseful for my actions and I turn 180 degrees, I change from those actions to a different action, from sin to holiness, from, from hatred and bitterness and frustration to the joy and the, and the love of the Lord. Until I make that 180 degree turn, I have not truly received salvation. The amazing thing in this story as we read in Jonah is, is he did say the right words. You're, you are my salvation is what he says. You are the salvation. And I am nothing without you, so, so send me, go. Let's, go. let's go do this. But there was a still point in his heart that still said, but they, those Ninevites, they don't deserve your love. With all the things that they have done, with all the actions that they have committed, they don't deserve you. And he held on to his opinion and his thought. Even though he suppressed it down a little bit and he said the right things and he talked the right way, he looked the right way, he wasn't 100% the right way. There's many times in my life I can look back where I, I dressed Christian, I looked Christian, I talked Christian, the Christianese language, but there were still some things in my heart that God has not removed from me. Why? Because I was holding on to them. Not letting them go so that God can do some miraculous events and remove them from my life. We must turn. And now after all of that, we'll pick up the rest of the story. We will be reading from Jonah chapter 3 and the first few verses of Jonah chapter 4. If you would please stand with me for the reading of the word. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day, one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Can you say that with me? Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. One more time. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Verse 5. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God and they called a fast and put on sackcloth of the greatest and the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and the nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast put, must be covered with sackcloth. And let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? May God turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. When God saw their deeds that he, they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Chapter 4. But it greatly displeased Jonah. This is that difficult grace portion we're talking about. It greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. 
Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better than, to me than life. Then the Lord said to Jonah, do you have a good reason to be angry? You may be seated. So in my studies this week, I really asked God a few times how a city called Nineveh, that is basically three full days of journey long to get from one side to the other. A lot of theories of what all that is, it means, I won't get into all that. Approximately 120,000 people in this city. And how one man can just walk into this city and say, in 40 days, you will be overthrown. That's it, right? That's, that's what we just read in scripture. That's what God told Jonah to say. Yet in 40 days, you will be overthrown. That's the message of the Lord that captured the heart of 120,000 people over a three-day journey to cross it. Those simple words is what captured the city. And I began asking God, God, I'm, I'm not the brightest bulb that may be in the closet, but how is that phrase enough to turn a city of 120,000 people to you? So God began bringing stories and thoughts back to my, my dad and his ministry, to my life, my testimony, all the different events in my life. And God said, do you recognize that when the word of the Lord came to you or through you, I had already been there. I had already prepared a way so that when that word comes, it has meaning and has life. Because when you come into a city and you just say, say a phrase like, in 40 days, you're gone. Is that enough to really touch 120,000 people? Probably not. This is Shane Stone 101, so you can take this or leave this, but I believe that God prepared the way probably with some of the same Ninevites people that already was out and heard about a nation that a God loved so much that he did some pretty miraculous things. I believe they shared stories of those things from that moment all the way back to when Abraham and Lot was there and they heard about these two cities that God was unhappy with called Sodom and Gomorrah and how God rained sulfur fire down upon them and killed everything and destroyed everything that is there because of the sinful nature that they had. And so if I hear those stories and I sense that this is happening and then this man who is a prophet of that same God comes in and says, in 40 days you're gone, I probably am perking up my ears a little bit differently. I'm probably remembering those stories a little bit differently. And I realize, wow, if that God can, can, can part the waters and take a, pe a nation of people across on dry land, if he can destroy Sodom and Gomorrah in such a way because of their sinful natures, then he is doing that same thing to us. And in 40 days, we're done. I don't know about you, but if, if, if you were looking at me and saying my life is done in 40 days, I would probably be like these people and I would probably say, wow, I've got to get my act together. I've got to turn my heart around. I've got to get refocused. I've got to get my mind back on the right things. And so we find, and I'm going to reread Jonah chapter three, verses five and eight, but I'm going to read it from the Amplified Bible because I believe it portrays it slightly differently. So from the Amplified Bible, it says the people of Nineveh believed and trusted in God. We got that part. And they proclaimed a fast and put sackcloth in a penitent mourning upon their bodies from the greatest, even to the least of them. 
When the word reached the king of Nineveh of Jonah's message about destruction of the city, he rose from his throne, took off his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in the dust in full repentance, in full remorse. He issued a proclamation and it said, in Nineveh by the decree of the king and the nobles, no man, animal, herd, or flock is to taste anything. We are not to eat or even drink water. Both man and animal must be covered in sackcloth and everyone is to call on God earnestly and forcefully that each man may turn from their wicked and violent ways of their hands. Penitent, remorseful, penitent, remorseful. 120,000 Ninevites, 120,000 people becoming remorseful for all the wrongs that they did. Let me share a snippet real quick of this. Ms. Kalen said this in the first week. These were some pretty horrible people. Very self-righteous, very focused upon pleasing themselves, very focused upon doing whatever feels right, do right. Sounds familiar today, but, but even back then, that's what they were doing. But they took it a little bit even further than Sodom and Gomorrah in the fact that not only were they doing all these sexual things and all these horrible things, they also were pretty savage, violent people. When they went out and took over another nation, they did some violent, horrible things by their hands. There were different theories and stories out there that I read that talked about how they would peel the skin off of people but leave them alive how they would, take, they would take horns and needles and they would take them and put them in their nostrils and then hook it up to a horse and slap the horse so that the horse would drag them by their nostrils. That's the kind of people we're talking about right here. These are not mediocre, ah, they're not sending too bad people. These are pretty savage, horrible people. And when you look at these people through the eyes of Jonah, through the lens of what Jonah sees, I have a feeling that it's hard for me to believe that Jonah does not want to go and allow God to save these people just because he heard a few stories. So in my mind and in my story, I believe that he probably has a pretty personal reason. Maybe he had a family member or maybe he had a friend or someone that was, that was just ravaged and, and just destroyed and killed by these people in the past. And he had a personal reason to not want this to happen. So I began thinking, a penitent man, a penitent man. Many of you, like me, may be a movie buff, and I, all of a sudden I start hearing, a penitent man, only a penitent man will pass. And then all of a sudden there was a movie called Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Does anybody remember that movie? Pretty good movie. Henry Jones just got shot. He's laying on the ground. The only way to save him is to go get the cup of the Lord and pour the holy water on him to save him, right? We hear that the story of that. And the whole time, that very first phase, Indiana Jones is reminded that only a penitent man will pass the wrath of God. Only a penitent man will pass the wrath of God. Only a penitent man, a man of humility, a man willing to humble themselves before the Lord will pass the wrath of God. I thought that would have been pretty awesome to share that with you. But then God said, I don't need a movie. I've got my own. So he gave me scripture, Psalms 51, verse 17. I'm gonna read it out of the Living Bible that says straight from King David. It is a broken spirit that you want. Remorse and repentance 
A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not ignore. See, Indiana Jones shared that a penitent man must be humble before God. But, but King David is saying, you know what? If we will not just humble ourselves, but if we will allow ourselves to be broken before the Lord, if we will truly be sorry and remorseful for the things that we do that are against the kingdom of God, that are against the word of God, and we turn that 180 degrees away from all that we're doing to fall back into good graces of holiness with God, it says right here, you will not ignore it, God. You will see my heart. You will see my, my, my humbleness. You will see all that I am. And that is why he is not going to destroy Nineveh because God sees their turn. He sees their heart. Real quickly to go back to the Ninevite people, one, one of the things that I believe we need to recognize that they did, they took off their cloaks from the lowest to the highest, from the lowest person, maybe a shepherd, all the way up to the king of the, of the city. They took off their cloaks. They took off their identities. They took off their authority of who they were. I believe the king even took all his jewelry off and laid them aside. They laid down everything that identifies who they are, what they are, and how they are, and they placed upon them sackcloth. Sackcloth has no meaning. It's, it's used just simply to carry anything and everything that needs to be carried. It has no meaning. To me, it's wool. It's like wool. My wife will attest, I can't stand wool. When my body touches wool, I go into highs. I can't stand wool. I know I wore it at times in my life, but now I don't even, if there's a rack with wool on it, I go all the way around as far as I can to get away from it. That's how much I hate it. But that's exactly what the Ninevite people put on their bodies is something that doesn't feel good, something that doesn't look good, something that has no, no identity of who they are. They just strip themselves of all things. And the word of the Lord said they fell upon their knees, upon the ashes, upon the dirt. Why? Because in repentance, we can't continue to look and act like we are. We have to humble ourselves before the Lord. That's why these altars are up front. Yes, we can pray at our seats. Yes, we can pray standing up, sitting down, and laying down. But sometimes we have to humble ourselves to step out of our comfort zone of these pews and these seats and come before an altar of God and say, Lord, I have sinned before you. Lord, you've saved me, I'm saved, but there is still a thought and an action. There's words that have come out of my mouth this week that are not pleasing to you. I have sinned against you and I must turn 180 degrees from that action. And in order to do that, sometimes I have to humble myself and come before an altar. Come to an altar of prayer before God and saying, God, just like the Ninevites, there is nothing I can do. I can't do anything or change anything. I can't, I can't say anything to get me out of my life and my situations. Only you, God, are powerful. Only you, God, are all knowledgeable and all knowing. And only when I come to you, God, and release everything back into your hands, does salvation truly come. And that's exactly what the Ninevites did, removing their identities, their position, their authority, and their opinions. I don't know about you, but that one kind of stuck me a little bit. It's like somebody threw a dart in my chest. God doesn't need my opinions, Chris. I like to give them. And I think you need to hear them. He doesn't need my opinions. What he needs is my faithful obedience just to say, yes, Lord. 
What you need, I will do. What you want me to say, I will say. How you want me to say it, I will say it. I will not add a word, I will not take away a word. You don't need my strength because my weakness is your strength. You don't need my words because you have all the words that are already destined to be put into my mouth when I need to speak it and when I need to say it. I don't need courage because as soon as I step out to my neighbor and knock on the door, that courage comes when that door opens up because the holy anointing of God steps in and I begin speaking the testimony of all that God has done in my life. And then the, the neighbor looks at you and says, wow, I'd like some of that. I don't, I don't, I've never seen that. I've never talked about that before. I want some of that. The Ninevite people humbling themselves before God. The funny thing is, is Jonah gets angry. Actually, a few verses later, he goes up on a mountaintop. He gets at the very edge of that mountain where he can see and look over the, over the city to get in the best view of this destruction in his mind. God, you are going to destroy this city for all that they have done. The, their evil, their, their pride, their arrogance, you're about to give it to them. So I'm getting front center. I'm going to see it. I'm going to watch it because this is what they deserve. Can I share with you very honestly that there's been a few points in my life where I've been wronged by a person in such a way that I actually didn't really care if they came back to Christ? That's where I was a Jonah, right? I'm in a Jonah moment. God says, that's my child. What, why, why don't you want them to come back in relationship with me? That's my child, I created them. I fashioned and formed them just like I fashioned and formed you. That's the difference between Jonah and the Ninevites. What's the difference? Absolutely nothing. The only difference is that God called Jonah with a calling to go talk to the Ninevites. That's the difference. He created them and fashioned them and formed them. He knows the hairs upon their head. He knows their calling. He knows every aspect of them. And he wants that relationship to be back. He wants them. He doesn't need them, but he wants them. Jonah had no humility, no grace, no love. He wanted punishment. He wanted them to pay for their evil deeds. Sounds like another story in the Bible that uh, comes to mind, and that's found in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 is the prodigal. Sure sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? The prophet Jonah being the older brother being upset when those sinful people that destroyed and, and took all that God had to give them and all that Father had to give them and just laid waste to it, had nothing left. The boy was eating with swine, didn't even have food. There was nothing there for this boy and yet he comes back home and all of a sudden, daddy's robe is back on him and daddy's ring's back on him and Jonah or the prodigal is sitting over here upset. Why are you treating him this way? He turned his back on you. He is evil. He did horrible things things. And the whole time, the Father God is looking and saying, all I need them to do is just maybe turn their head a little bit and look my way. I really just need them to maybe turn their shoulders slightly. And as soon as they turn from their wicked ways, as soon as they start realizing that, that they've been pretty evil and savage in their lives, all of a sudden, when that kind of thing starts happening, I now can go running to them and save them and bring salvation back to their lives. And when that happens, I take my cloak off of Father God and I lay it around them. 
and I take the ring of my authority and I place it upon his hand. That's what God wants to do with Jonah today or with the Ninevites today. Jonah's angry. He actually yells at God. I knew you would do this. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. You're, I mean, he just describes God. You're so full of love and mercy and compassion. You're so gracious that, that I knew you would not destroy these people. Kill me now. Does that sound familiar? I think we've had a few pity parties of our own in our closets where we say and act the same way. Kill me now. I go from the prodigal son to realizing that we in this world, we're living in the same thing. I love America. I'm true blue, red, white, and blue. I love it. But I tell you, it's getting evil and it's getting ugly and it's getting nasty. We have a people that are destroying their babies. We have a government that says it's okay if we take our young children and confuse them and, and not even let them even understand that God created them to be what they are and how they are, and yet we wanna to try to change it within our own power. We've got the, the Dr. Feelgood mentality of whatever feels good I do, and if it hurts you in the meantime, I don't care. Kinda of sounds a lot like Nineveh. Kinda of sounds a lot like that. And if they're the young son and we know that there is a father above them that wants right relationship with them, you know what that may mean that we as a church may be? Could it be that we as a church are now the Jonas and the older brothers? And we're looking around at the evil and the distraught and we've gotten the attitude of, you know what, I really like the group that I have right here. I, if, if more people come, yeah, okay, I don't really care. I really like what we have. It feels good. Instead of being what God calls us to be, to say, go into all nations and preach and teach the gospel to all mankind. Instead of being that voice of missional service like Pastor Teresa has done over the summer of going into other nations, what about if we just go to our neighbor? What about if we just go to Kroger's and Walmart? What about if when we're walking down the aisle way and God says that woman's hurting or that man's hurting, stop and pray with them, that we actually stop and pray with them? Or have we become Jonah in such a manner that we just walk right on by because it's okay that they're dealing with the pain they're dealing with, they deserve it. Have we become that? God forbid that we have become that, but we have become angry, we have become bitter. Our job is to reach souls. Our job is to reach souls. I believe with all my heart there is not one person upon this earth that God does not want back into a right relationship with him. How can God save a man that just committed murder upon multiple people and at the very moment of his judgment, he says, God, I recognize what I did. I'm remorseful. I ask for forgiveness. And we have a God willing to forgive that? We don't understand we can't comprehend. When we put on these lenses of Jonah, we see that he deserves his punishment. But when we step out of ourselves and we put on the lenses of God, we begin seeing that they are the fashioned and formed and created being that God created. It doesn't make sense to us, but sometimes we've got to get out of our logic and into the spirit. Sometimes we've got to get out of our, our opinions and our thought processes and just be in full obedience to God. Worship team, you can come up. 
Luke 11 and 30 says, For just as Jonah came to be the sign of the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. It didn't say a generation, it said this generation. That encompasses every generation. That God is the Son of Man and He brings salvation. In 2 Chronicles 7 and 14, it says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive them and heal their land. We know that scripture very well. But I want to tell you this. Until we become like the Ninevites, where we take off our identities, where we step out of the authority that we think we're in, when we lay aside all of our opinions and all of our thoughts and all of our actions, and we fall humbly before a God who can destroy us in a blink of an eye or who can love us and save us in that same blink. Until we humble ourselves and say, oh God, I am so sorry that even that little white lie that I told yesterday is not holy and just and right for you. Forgive me for that. Forgive me for not speaking to the one that you put in front of me yesterday in that aisle way. Forgive me for not going and loving all my neighbors until we humble ourselves and pray. Now, I'm not sure which one of these people you are today. For some of you, you may be the Jonas that are sitting in this place today. You may not be Jonah, maybe you're a Jonah enabler. You're not releasing a situation into God's hands and you're holding on into the storm. Or you could be the prodigal. And in being the prodigal, you need to turn 180 degrees from your actions, from your life and all that we are. I challenge you to lay down your authority, your identity, and probably the hardest one of all, lay down your opinion and step out in faith by God. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet if you would. As they sing this song, I, I remind you that these altars are always open. And I remind you that sometimes a holy God says, yes, I know you can pray at your seat and I know you can pray there and raise your hands, but sometimes he's waiting on you to come humbly to an altar to talk to him, to ask for his forgiveness, to have a change of heart. As they sing, the altars are open. Let God speak to your heart today.